0: Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. So today I'm changing it up a little bit. I'm not going to release a new episode. In fact, I'm going to re-release an episode that first came out in season one and the reason is because of the current climate and everything that's going on in the world right now. I just wanted to point out a few facts that I saw online that there's so many racial disparities in infertility and in women's health. Some of the facts I read were that black women have lower live birth rates. Black women have lower live birth rates even after IVF. Black women have higher miscarriage rates even after IVF. Black women have higher rates of infertility. Black women receive the fewest treatments for infertility. And Black women have higher rates of maternal death when compared to white, Hispanic, Asian, and other women. So I just wanted to point that out and say that my job today is to amplify some voices. So I'm re-releasing the episode that I did with Nichelle Sublet, who is Mrs. North Carolina 2018 And in our talk, she tells us all about the five painful years of infertility she endured. And what I thought was so interesting at the time and is so pertinent again today and always is that she talked about why in the African-American community, infertility and pregnant loss just are not talked about. So hopefully this will start the conversation even more and add to the amazing voices that are out there right now. I just want to say that, Nichelle, I adore you. We've become friends since we did this episode, and thank you for doing this in the first place. So without further ado, this is Nichelle's infertility story. Hi, Nichelle, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for doing this today. You oh, are you're welcome. first <laughs> Mrs. North Carolina that I've ever seen. Congratulations <laughs> on that, by the me. way.
1: You Thank won that you.
0: in 2018, right? Yes. Tell me about pageant life. How did you get into it? Well,
1: I it was actually my first pageant, believe it or not. because the first one ever? When, yes. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, growing up, I never got into pageants. I was a gymnast and cheerleader and I never had the opportunity really and never really thought about it actually. Mm -hmm. And so I have a really good friend who kept telling me that I should do a pageant because she was Mrs. Georgia in 2014. Mm -hmm. And every year I was like, no, because I'm going to be pregnant or I'll have a fertility treatment. And then I finally just said, you know, I've been saying this for the past four years, I'm going to do it now and thought that it would be like something really cool
0: to try. Mm -hmm. How was the experience for you? Yeah, it was
1: great. I mean, it ended up working out really well. I think it opened my eyes to pageants a little bit more to see more in depth what they were about Uh and that and her mothers and wives and accomplished career women. And so everyone... Had something special they were bringing to the table, and being amongst all those women, I thought was incredibly empowering, and of course led me to speaking about my personal journeys mm-hmm. and kind of sharing that and getting more awareness to infertility. So I thought that it was a wonderful experience.
0: Tell me about how it all began for you. First sure. Of all, how did you meet your husband, and when did you guys? start trying to have kids, and did you always know that you wanted to? Yeah. Well, I met my
1: husband through a mutual friend in the summer of 2010. So we met at kind of a nightclub, fell in love, (laughs) got married in 2013, and immediately upon coming back from the honeymoon, I stopped taking my birth control because I was just ready right away. I felt like I had been ready for a while, Mm -hmm. And I don't know that he was exactly on board with that, but he, (laughs) he was fine with me stopping the pill and said, you know, whatever happens, happens, but he just wasn't in a rush like I was. Mm -hmm. So after about six months, I was beginning to get concerned because even though we weren't necessarily trying, of course you get concerned Mm -hmm. after it's been a certain amount of months and I thought we were too young really have any issues. So that was when my OBGYN told me that I had PCOS after doing a number of tests and looking at my ovaries. So how did that affect you? What were the symptoms and what were you going through medically? Well, my symptoms, the hallmark symptom was not ovulating, which I didn't realize I wasn't ovulating because I was having a period every month. So I didn't know that you could have a period and not ovulate, but she cleared that up for me. You can, and you can also not have a period and be ovulating. So that was interesting. Some of the other symptoms I didn't really have, like I didn't have the obesity or male pattern hair growth. Mm -hmm. There's some other symptoms as well that I didn't have hair falling out of my head, I didn't have like the diabetes part where some people have insulin resistance. Mm-hmm. So I really didn't have a lot of the symptoms, which is why I think nobody ever caught it in the past. Mm-hmm. Because I did have irregular periods in college, but I was a college cheerleader. And they said, Oh, well, you know, you just don't have enough body fat. And from athletics, that's probably why you're skipping periods. But By the time I went to see my OBGYN, I had consistently been getting a period monthly. So
0: it was a bit surprising. When you found out that you had it, so then what did they do? Was there like a medical protocol or did you start doing anything differently? Well, generally, I think
1: the protocol is to start you on Clomid. So I had two rounds of Clomid, which was two different months. And you take the medicine... For five days in a month. So it was really simple. I didn't have too many of the bad side effects, more just hot flashes. And on the second month, we did conceive mm-hmm. and we thought, oh, wow, you know, this wasn't so bad after all, you know, right. really soon. But at eight weeks, they discovered that we still didn't have a heartbeat. And so my doctor recommended to have a D&E at uh-huh. that I'm so sorry.
0: Oh, how was that on you emotionally?
1: Oh, it was horrible. I mean, I think we were just so excited and so surprised that it worked so fast that when she called to say that my HCG numbers were going down at first, I couldn't even wrap my mind around it because I thought the hard part for us would be getting pregnant, not keeping the pregnancy. Yep. Yeah, so that was really devastating. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it took a long time to get over. Yeah. Of course, emotionally, you're kind of scarred and wondering well, what's going to happen the next time. But my doctor kept telling us, oh, well, you know, a lot of people have a miscarriage. Something like one in four pregnancies end in miscarriage. It doesn't mean that you won't have a successful pregnancy. So,
0: did you have anybody in your life that had suffered a miscarriage? Any of your friends or relatives or anything? At that point, I honestly didn't
1: know if anyone I knew had suffered a miscarriage because nobody had talked about it. Mm -hmm. And then when we told a few people, we learned that they had indeed suffered miscarriages, even one of my grandmothers, which nobody had ever said anything about before. You know, it's kind of this thing that people carry in silence and they don't share it. So what
0: happened after after that?
1: After that, we took a break and did some traveling. And then she referred me to a reproductive endocrinologist. Mm-hmm. So we started seeing her. That was in the fall of 2014. Okay. So it was the following year. And that doctor put me on letrozole uh-huh. for four months. Now the first month we had a chemical pregnancy. Okay. So when I was became pregnant the first month, I thought, oh, okay, we just needed, you know, another dose of an ovulation inducing drug, not realizing that once again, something was going to be wrong. So after that, we did three IUIs and then we got ready for IVF.
0: Okay. How were the IV- IUIs for you?
1: The IUIs were honestly pretty easy. I would uh-huh. just take letrozole each month, which was again for five days. And then they would monitor how many eggs I was producing and looking at the follicles mm-hmm. and would tell us to come in and you know, my husband would leave a sample because right. they determined that nothing was wrong on his side. And then they would do the IUI and uh-huh. you would just kind of lay there for 15 minutes afterwards. I did learn after we did ours that two people I knew through work had, had successful IUIs. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And so that was kind of surprising to me because they told us before we went in that basically it increased your chances to the same amount that any other couple would have trying to conceive each month, which I think is 17 to 20%. Okay. So it wasn't a huge percentage, but at least it put us on par with normal couples. Right.
0: Right. Okay.
1: So after that, we got ready for IVF. And we thought that was definitely going to be the answer and got geared up, took all the drugs, all the shots. Mm -hmm. I thought at first that it wasn't too bad, but then when you're doing the stimming, like that last 11 days, I think prior to the actual retrieval, Mm -hmm. I got so many side effects, like Mm -hmm. as far as the bloating and the stomach and just feeling nauseated, Mm -hmm. I had digestive issues. There are a lot of things that come along with that that I feel like people don't really talk about. With yeah. IBS yeah.
0: Did you have any like hormonal things as well?
1: I think emotionally I was just all over the place because
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean,
1: at that point we were embarking on something totally new that we never thought we would need because Right. We kept thinking, oh, well, Clomid is going to solve this problem, or Letrozole is going to yeah. solve our problem. If my problem is not ovulating, why do we need IVF? Uh-huh. So at that point, we were just in shock that we even got to that point. So at that point, we thought IVF was absolutely the answer, that it would work the first time. Mm-hmm. They told us that we were healthy, we were young. There was no reason why it wouldn't work. Now, they did say it was about a 60% chance because we did the genetic testing as well. Mm -hmm. But we just, again, assumed that, well, this is the answer. Mm -hmm. So we did... Two frozen embryo transfers, neither were successful. The first one, I didn't get pregnant. And then the second one, I had a miscarriage at about seven weeks. Oh,
0: so sorry. How long between yeah. the two did you wait?
1: We waited about three months. So we did one in November and then one in April. Okay. But again, we were using the PGS tested embryos. And so we just thought, of course, this is going to work. And I had made tons of eggs. There were so many eggs and so many embryos, but we only had a few come back genetically normal. So we had three that came back genetically normal.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So at this point, we've now used two of them Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and we're not sure what to do. And then my doctor suggested that if we wanted to have more than one child, because we just had the one embryo left at this point, that we should do another egg retrieval. Mm-hmm. So I did yet another egg retrieval. And that was in January of 2017. Uh huh. And it was a similar result. This time we got four that were genetically normal. So we okay. banked those. So at this point we had five banked away and we uh-huh. were really excited about that. That's and ready great. Mm-hmm. Thank you. But one month after my retrieval, I was pregnant mm-hmm. and
0: completely shocked. Like Without a natural- using the IVF, just naturally. Right. Okay. Right. Just out of the blue. Oh my gosh. So
1: unfortunately, once again, that one ended in miscarriage, but at 11 weeks. Oh. So that one was particularly devastating because everyone says, oh, you get to 11, 12 weeks and you're good. Right, you don't need
0: right. Plus, I'm sure and- having passed that mark that you, had, you know, had the losses at before the seven and eight weeks, you were probably like, oh, wait, nine weeks, never been here before, 10 weeks. Right. And, you know, so you start feeling a little more confident probably, right? Exactly, and we kept seeing a
1: healthy heartbeat, which we had never seen before. So, I mean, after you see multiple heartbeats on the ultrasound, you're and and you hear them, mm-hmm. you don't imagine that things are going to come crashing down like they did. Mm-hmm. So, after that, we're thinking, oh, we're going to wait a little while, you know, wait for my period to come back. We'll try it again. In between, we did some more genetic testing.
0: Uh-huh.
1: They looked at our embryos again, the ones that were left, and just determined they wanted to see if they had any additional issues. So, even though they had done the genetic testing, they wanted to look further. I can't think of the name, but basically, it's where part of the embryo is okay and part of it isn't. So, they checked out our embryos again everything looked great. They said we could move forward with another transfer. Mm -hmm. Well, in the meantime, I got pregnant again. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So at this point, it was August of 2017. I've already signed everything to do the pageant, which was in November. So I'm thinking that's what I'm doing. That's my path. I'm not thinking about doing a transfer right now. Mm -hmm. And I pop up pregnant again. Wow.
0: So, god again, your body has have- been you've been through so much already at this point, right? It's such a roller coaster.
1: Right. It was so much at this point. I've already had four miscarriages. I've had all these fertility treatments. I mean, it just didn't seem like another thing could go wrong. Right. But it did. Yet again. Oh god. Hearing in September. So pretty much the next month. At that point, we just had no idea what to do. They had tested a few of our miscarriages in the past and they kept finding that it was a chromosomal problem Mm -hmm. with the baby. And so we didn't know if with those natural pregnancies, if that's probably what happened again. Right. Okay. Yeah. So it was just Horrible. You know, yeah. it's roller coaster that you're going on with you and your husband. And Yeah.
0: How are you guys doing relationship wise?
1: I feel like it was very, very stressful and very painful on the marriage because in the meantime, we have people sending us baby shower invitations and mm-hmm. friends getting pregnant and family members getting pregnant. And people would always call my husband to ask well, what should we do? Should my wife tell Michelle? Do you want to tell her? And he would always be the one to tell me, but then he would tell me that it was just so stressful on him having to think about when and how, and mm-hmm. when would it be a good time? And he made the mistake one time of telling me about two different people who were pregnant while we were on a flight somewhere. <laughs> and... It was, I mean, I literally could not stop crying for about five hours.
0: Oh, God. Because on a flight, don't you find that you cry so easily anyway? <laughs> like, yes. About- and then
1: there's nowhere to go, and, and you're right? Trapped. Everybody's looking at you. Right. You're just, yeah, you're trapped. There's yeah. nowhere to go. I can't call anybody, I can't debrief by myself. Right. So, yes. I think it just amplified everything. I even had flight attendants asking if I was okay. I mean, it was just an absolute disaster. That's so So, rough. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like men also just deal with it differently anyway, because when he would get together with his friends, even friends of his whose wives were expecting, it's not like that's all they talked about. They have other things they talk about, and that's kind of the least of what they talk about. And so it wasn't something that he necessarily had to face every day like I did.
0: Right. Exactly. And don't you feel like too, when you're trying to get pregnant and you can't, or you can't stay pregnant everywhere you look, someone's pregnant. Like it's, yes. it's just that everywhere. crazy thing everywhere and every TV show, every commercial, and it's just infuriating and so right.
1: Hard. Right. There's so many ads about it on TV with the couple sitting there, you know, right. Smiling because they just looked at the pregnancy test and you just have to change the channel. I right. mean it's
0: it's everywhere. Did anybody say anything to you that really was able to help you get through this time? At this point I did. I had shared it with friends,
1: with yeah. close friends, and I felt like their support was really key because after the first miscarriage we really didn't share it with anybody, but after we kept having more and more miscarriages, mm-hmm. then we started really opening up amongst friends and family mm-hmm. and I think that was really integral to being able to navigate through this process and even just put one foot in front of the other.
0: So you were about to do this pageant. And from what I read, another article was saying that you had to have a DNC kind of right before the pageant. Is that what happened?
1: Yes. Oh, Um, that must've been really hard. It was. It was awful because I had the DNC see at the end of September. And then the pageant was second week of November. Mm -hmm. So I really didn't have a lot of time. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I needed to work with a pageant coach who was an hour and a half away. (laughs) And I also needed to get my wardrobe ready and work on interview and set hair and makeup appointments. And, you know, there's just so much. I Mm -hmm. felt like the only thing that I could do to help myself was to keep living in which we had tried very hard over the years to keep living. But yeah, I just refused to let it take me down once again. So I think that really, that really inspired me to want to do really well in the pageant and to do, and also it was a a great distraction.
0: Right. I was just going to say, it must've been a nice distraction Mm -hmm. for sure.
1: It was, it was to, to get ready for something positive and something fun and to put all my energy and focus into that Mm -hmm. was really healing.
0: Yeah. So what did it feel like when you won the pageant?
1: When I won, it was incredible. I felt like the whole year had just kind of turned around because it was at the end of the year. It was in November Mm -hmm. and things have been really, really difficult since January. So Winning just felt like wow, like the trajectory of my life is now going to change and it's going to change forever. And Mm -hmm. I felt like it was going to change for the
0: good. When did you decide that you wanted to use your platform to spread awareness about infertility?
1: Pretty much immediately. Okay, I always knew that I was going to share my story, I just thought it was going to be after I had everything you know, the two kids and everything was wrapped up tightly with a bow. Right, I had. <laughs> right. Because I, you know, in the past, I wasn't comfortable sharing it in the middle of the storm. I felt like, well, how do I share it now? How does that give anybody hope? I need to give people hope after I have my kids. And then I can say, hey, look what happened to me and stick with it and have faith. Right. Uh, at that point, I knew that there was nothing else that was more important to share personally at that time each state contestant or each state winner picks a platform to champion over the year mm-hmm. and it just it made no sense for me to choose anything else because it was all about spreading awareness about a cause and empowering women so i couldn't think of anything better and right. i had this 5 years of of my journey to share and to help people have hope and keep going.
0: Yeah. So was this when you you started it with was it a social media post? And then I know you created this hashtag, which was hashtag start asking. So tell me that, which I love so much.
1: Thank you. So I started with this social media post about a week after I won. Mm -hmm. And that was the scariest part, honestly, of the whole year was that (laughs) social media post because it was the first time I was going to publicly share Anything about what we have been going through. Right. And you have this feeling that now you're just running around naked, that everybody knows your deepest, darkest secret, mm-hmm. and that your marriage isn't perfect, even though nobody's is. So I don't even know what the hang up is, but there's just like that hang up yeah. of letting people in. Yeah. So it started with that. And from that, I got so much feedback, whether it was Social media comments, posts, private messages, emails of just tons of people reaching out to say, Hey, I've been going through the same thing. Mm-hmm. What can we do? Or my wife is going through this. Or, you know, do you know of any resource groups? Or can we get together for coffee? So, just from that post, things really started rolling. Mm-hmm. And then I had different agencies and groups reaching out, wanting me to come speak to their groups about. You know, perseverance and continuing to, you know, get through challenging situations in life, no matter what they are. Mm -hmm. So I felt like it really started bringing that awareness. And I really just wanted to kind of break that stigma and shame. And frankly, it just was a huge weight off my shoulders. I felt much, much lighter after sharing it. You know, it was scary at first and then. I felt like, great, I don't have to make things up anymore when people ask inappropriate questions. Like, when are you having kids? Yes. I don't even have to make it up anymore. I just have to say, hey, this is what we've been going through. We're trying to have kids. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, and that felt good. There's something so cool too about becoming so vulnerable, I think, and saying like, guess what, you know, I'm not perfect, my marriage isn't perfect. My body's not perfect. And Mm -hmm. once you kind of put that out there, it's so freeing. Mm -hmm. I think that people really respond to that vulnerability too. And they're like, oh, okay, I can relate to that. And then it just like makes everybody feel better in general. Definitely. Yeah.
1: Definitely. I mean, I spoke to a women's group called Stolen Lunches. They asked me to come. They're a Bible Bible study group. And I used to go to their meetings a lot and still do. Mm Mm-hmm. And they asked me to speak. And that was what my whole message was about was the power. There's power in the middle. So basically, you don't have to have completed your journey yet or have found success Mm -hmm. to be powerful in someone else's life. You can share when you're still in the middle of the journey. And sometimes that's actually more important. And it's more, it just, it helps people realize that you don't have to be perfect to help someone else.
0: Yeah, I love that. Thank you. Um, I want to ask you too, I know you've talked about this before, but studies have shown that it's twice as likely to affect women of color in fertility, but that it's also talked about a lot less. Would you find that that's true? And tell me about your experience with that. And I know you're also involved in the Fertility for Colored Girls group. So I want to unpack that a little bit and talk about that, all of that stuff.
1: Yeah, I'd agree. I I think so in the African-American community, I feel like there are certain things that just aren't talked about, whether it's mental health, homosexuality, another one, not their big one is infertility and pregnancy loss. And there's a misconception that women of color are actually more fertile. And that's just not true. And we, like you mentioned, studies have shown that we have almost twice, you know, infertility almost twice as much as our Caucasian sisters and feel like this is really important for people to know because certain celebrities have put things out about having kids after 45. And yes, I mean, it is possible, but they're just, to me, they're not telling the whole story about how that happened. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe that was IVF or a donor egg or a donor embryo. I mean, just all these things that people don't even know about mm-hmm. or talk about and if you don't know about it, especially with women of color, you're just looking at, you know, a Beyonce or, or whoever, someone who I know Tamron Hall recently had a baby at 48. And I think she did say she went through IVF, but she didn't really share too much of the story, too many of the details. So I think it leaves this false sense of hope that we don't have a biological clock. And that was part of the reason that, I started the hashtag, start asking, was to really encourage women, especially in their 20s, to get a baseline of their fertility health, you know, basically get some tests done and some blood work to see how your egg quality is, your egg reserve, if you're going into early menopause, all these things that no one talks about. And especially with the African-American community, I think I felt like even more, of a failure and less of a woman because, oh, I'm a, I'm a woman of color. So naturally I should be able to have babies whenever I want. And this is what we're taught in society and in culture. And it's, yeah. it's
0: a misconception that's hurting us. Why do you think it's talked about so much less in that community? I think it's just the difference in
1: cultures. I think a lot of times when it's brought up, it's, Oh, you're fine. You know, just pray, just pray about it. God will make an answer. You don't need science. And my husband and I are very big believers and we're big in our faith and big Christians. Mm -hmm. And we felt like God also was leading us to doctors and to science and that he wanted to work in tandem. And we also knew that whatever procedure we had, if God wanted it to be successful, it would be. If he didn't, it wouldn't be. So we feel like science and our spirituality work together hand mm-hmm. in hand. Okay. And I think sometimes in the African-American community, it's more just the more religious part or more spiritual part. Yeah. And so sure. people are kind of ashamed to to even seek out a doctor's opinion. I know I've spoken to different physicians and reproductive endocrinologists. And they do see women of color coming in and those couples. But a lot of times I've been told, maybe we'll go in for one appointment and never come back. Mm. And that's, I think, part of why sometimes we don't have success is because we didn't stick with it. We didn't keep going to the doctor and really seeking out kind of what was going on and trying to get help for that particular fertility issue.
0: Okay. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So back to your, your particular story, I know at one point you, was it after the pageant that you guys decided to talk about doing a surrogacy? Yes, we did.
1: Actually during that? the pageant, we talked okay. about it. Yeah, because we knew that we didn't want to do any treatments during the pageant year. So during my year of Mrs. North Carolina, we just really wanted to enjoy it and travel and uh-huh. go to the appearances and speaking engagements and
0: just not have to worry about that part. That must've been fun to do all that stuff.
1: It was, it was like we were dating again because it wasn't, there was no pressure about Uh anything. It was just, we're not doing this. We're, we're actually actively preventing pregnancy. (laughs) And so we knew there was no chance of me just popping up pregnant again. Right. Yeah, it was very comforting actually because we just wanted to focus on that and have a great year. Yeah. Oh, in the meantime, we were thinking about other options and one of them was surrogacy because at this point, we had the five frozen embryos left. We called them the Fab Five.
0: <laughs> I love that.
1: <laughs> and they were all genetically normal and healthy and we just wanted to make sure that we gave them the best opportunity to come to life and uh-huh. to be born. Okay. So that was what had us looking into a surrogate because they weren't exactly able to tell us exactly what was wrong and so Right. I not, you know,
0: look at other options. Yeah, yeah that's smart. Okay. So what happened after that?
1: Yeah, so we signed with them actually and they started the process of looking for a surrogate. They told us it was about a five to eight month process before they would be able to match us because there's just so many intended parents and not enough surrogates who qualify. I think okay. they get a lot of applications, but it's tough to qualify mm-hmm. to be a surrogate. So we had to wait quite a while. And it was funny because of course, a week before my transfer, we find out, oh, you've been matched. <laughs> and at that point, I was just ready to to move forward with the transfer because I'd already taken all the shots and the pills and Okay. So while ready. you're waiting
0: for the surrogate you were already lining up another IVF cycle. Yes.
1: Okay. Gotcha. We decided after Mrs. North Carolina that right. that would be a good time to try again cuz at that point we still hadn't been matched and so we're thinking in October. Well, we still haven't been matched. You know, we signed with this agency in July. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe I should just try it one more time. So really it was going to be my last time. Okay. And if it didn't work, then we'd already be in line for the surrogate and maybe get matched shortly after. But as it happened, we got matched the week before.
0: Oh my God. So then <laughs> what did you do then? Did you just decide to go through with it or how does it all shake out?
1: Yes, because <laughs> at that point I'd done all the pr- preparation. Right. Done the shots and the medications and the patches, and I was ready to go. So, mm-hmm. and if we had started with the surrogate at that point, then you're looking at a couple months for her to get all the testing done, and then for her to start the whole process that I had just done for okay. the transfer. So, okay, we're like, let's just go ahead with this. Yeah, so we so did the transfer.
0: How yeah. do you decide so, uh, which of the Fab Five to go with? <laughs> so
1: we asked if they would put the best ones in. Okay. They do a grading system of grade yep. one, two, and three. And we asked, can we get a grade one
0: mm-hmm.
1: embryo in there? Whether it's from the first re- retrieval I did or the second, it doesn't matter. We just wanted a grade one and it ended up being from my second
0: retrieval. Did you know the
1: gender? No, we did not know the gender okay. and at the women's Institute, they actually don't allow you to choose the gender. So okay. they said they would just pick the healthiest. And uh-huh. if we have multiple grade ones, they just pick the healthiest out of flip those. Flip a coin. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm like, you flip a coin. Is it just last one in, first one out? I'm not right. sure. So, like, it's
0: all very scientific until we have to choose the embryo and then we just flip yes. a coin. Yes.
1: so we did not find out the gender for a while though we decided to to not even ask for a while we could have asked when I did the retrieval a couple years ago but we we didn't
0: okay so how did the transfer go and what happened after that
1: I feel like the transfer went well I went into it just saying hey you know either it works or it doesn't I did Mm -hmm. not put The pressure on myself that I had the previous transfers during the other two—that's interesting. Yeah, I just decided that hey, if it doesn't work, we have a surrogate lined up. So it's really it's not the end of the world, and we'll get our baby some way. And at that point, I decided you know it was more important to get a healthy child. Like I was over the whole oh I want to be pregnant. I'm like it's okay, you know Mm -hmm. whoever can bring this healthy child. I'm good with though.
0: So. Mm-hmm. Isn't it funny how your priorities kind of change as you go throughout this whole journey, depending on what happens. Like, yes, you're like, I want X, Y, and Z. And then you're like, or just X and Y would be fine. Or just X <laughs> actually. Like you just kind of, it gets to a point where, you know, you have to shift your priorities around. It's just, you never know. Yes.
1: Absolutely. You really see what's important.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: And that's what happened. And so we found out Christmas Eve that the transfer took and All then right. I was yeah. So Christmas Eve, you found out? That's so cool. Christmas Eve, yeah. Okay. And at that point, of course, we're still on pins and needles. Right. I mean, we were, I mean, there's even days now. I'm 32 weeks and mm-hmm. you're still in shock. Is this really happening? And there's times where my anxiety kind of blow up and get the best of me. It's been much better since I can feel him moving a lot. Like yes. like he's moving all the time. But before he started moving, so prior to, I'd say 18 weeks, Yeah, I was extremely scared and yes. never knew what the doctor was going to say. I mean, each appointment, you just never knew what was going to happen, if there was still a heartbeat and it was terrifying, which is... I think totally different than most people when they're pregnant Mm -hmm. though. And of getting through that was really tough. And there'd be times where I'd just break down crying and say, I don't know what's going on. Is he
0: okay? I'm freaked out. Yep. It's so scary because there's so many little milestones and you think, okay, if we hear the heartbeat, then I can breathe, you know, kind mm-hmm. of exhale, but you're like, but I can't because then what if I don't hear it the next time? And right. I, for me, it was like, every time I went to the bathroom, I was like, please don't be blood. You know, like you, yes. it's just things like that. You're just never fully relaxed. No,
1: yeah, and then when I talk to other women who have been through this, such as yourself, mm-hmm. they say, "Oh, you know you're going to freak out until that baby's in your arms pretty mm-hmm. much, and so just knowing that, okay, these feelings are normal, but Absolutely. I don't need to let them get the best of me, yeah. and I think it's hard for others to understand who haven't yeah. been through it for sure,
0: but that's so great, so you 're thirty two weeks along, so you are. Yes what's the math on that? I'm not good at math. So oh, August 30th. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and you found out, I know I saw pictures of you guys and I would love to put these on my Instagram if that's okay with you. Sure. Um, yeah. So you guys did a gender reveal, right? We did. So tell at me first, about that.
1: <laughs> well, at first I didn't want to do these things. I'm
0: like, no, we're not
1: going to do gender reveals. We're not doing baby moons. We're not, I don't even know if I want to shower. And- You're nervous. Too nervous, right. But eventually I said, you know what? We've trusted in this process so far. We believe that things are going to keep going. We have to be positive and we have to celebrate these milestones. I said, I refuse to once again, let infertility and that trauma just steal all this joy away from me to the point where we're not going to celebrate anything until he's here. Mm -hmm. And so I just felt compelled to, you know what? Yeah. Let's do it all up. Let's have a blast with this. So we did do the gender reveal and that was with Harold's family who they live out in Phoenix and uh-huh. that's where he's from. So that was really neat. A really special day. Yeah. Shot the powder out and it was I blue. love that.
0: See, they didn't have that when I was pregnant. That's like a Oh. No. I w- those are so fun. I love watching all those videos. They are. They're really fun. I've seen some
1: really neat ones. Yeah. <laughs> so were you shocked yeah. that it was a boy? That it is actually I kinda was. Because <laughs> for some reason the whole time I felt like it was a girl. So Okay. I guess you just never know. Yeah. I think that's what what that taught me, but I was just so excited either way. I mean, we didn't have we didn't care right. what it was. Of course. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm so happy for you guys. That's so exciting. And I'm glad that you're Thank feeling well. If anybody's listening that you know might be going through a hard time, is there anything that you learned that you could share or anything you could say that helped you get through it? Yeah. I
1: think the most important thing, no matter what type of hard time someone's going through, is to have the support and to not keep it bottled up. Mm-hmm. Because I think I kept it bottled up for way too long. And I mean, it was literally five years before really kind of getting out there and telling people about it. And I just, I kind of wish I'd done it sooner because it was so healing and so therapeutic. Mm-hmm. And how can you help somebody else if, if we're all dealing with the same thing, but nobody knows it? Right. I mean, that's just pretty ridiculous at the end of the day. We're just sitting there with all of our feelings and emotions bottled up inside and then isolating ourselves because you can't really be the true you when you're having to put on a phony face or make things up when questions are asked. Or I know one thing that started helping me in the last couple years of the journey was just not attending baby showers anymore. It was just too much. And but at that point people understood Mm -hmm. versus prior to that, without having the knowledge, I guess that would look a little strange. So, (laughs) yeah. So I think that you have to be really open and honest with those that are close to you. And I don't mean you have to do a social media post or tell the world, but just at least telling those who are close to you, friends and family so that you have some kind of support.
0: Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Well, I know that you, are going to help so many people by sharing your story. And I can't thank you enough. And I can't wait to hear when your son enters this world. It's going to be so amazing. So yes. I would love well, to keep you. in touch and um, yes. thank you so much for doing this. So it's, it's been great. Absolutely. Thank you for providing this platform, this
1: podcast yeah. so that our stories can be heard. That's excellent. So thank you so much for having me.
0: Hey, again, guys, thanks so much for listening to that conversation with Nichelle. Even if you've heard it before, I appreciate if you listen to it again. Not much else to say, but I hope everyone is donating and using their voices and using their platforms to amplify the voices that we don't get to hear enough. So thanks again. Love you all. Talk to you next time.